we're not getting the job done. And I'm not going to blame myself, I'll be honest. They are not getting the job done. <laughs> See that buck? It's way over there. Not here. Doesn't stop here. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. There, Paul. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Here I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. In Oregon on 91.7 KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 KSO in Cottage Grove. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 WLRI. In Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1. In Palinville, New York on 102.9 WLPP. In Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR. In New Orleans on WHIV 102.3. In Washington, D.C. on 105.5. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe on the internets every day on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Deprogrammed Radio, Workforce Rising, Detour Talk, and Radio Sputnik. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman. Your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around fantastic fellow, says me... And me too, sometimes. Oh, thank you. Sometimes. (laughs) From bradblog.com, thank you very much for joining us. That was Desi Doyen, our producer. Oh, you're fantastic most of the time. Thank you for saying so. That's what we pay you for. Uh, The madness of, of King Donald continued, of course... Did you expect it wouldn't over the weekend and into today with some crazy remarks at the White House before a uh, before a cabinet meeting today before the uh, uh, media and and then just before air at another freewheeling last minute uh, press conference that was announced along with his hostage Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell by his side. Uh, but there is reason why he made McConnell come out with him and try to put a happy face on all of the dysfunction of late being reported out of this White House. Uh, there must be, right, to send the message, everything's going great, he's doing well, he's getting along just fine with Congress. Well, we will be speaking momentarily with the one and only Heather Digby Parton of Salon and Hullabaloo about that and this crazy so-called religious, I have to say a lot of so-calleds today, so-called religious right summit over the weekend uh, where Trump also spoke. So uh, we'll talk about that as well with Digby very shortly. But uh, some, uh, well, a lot of important stuff that I want to try to get to here before we get to her. The BBC reports at least three people have died so far as hurricane-force gusts battered the Republic of Ireland. That as the remnants of what had been Hurricane Ophelia, a Category 3 hurricane. It was Category 3 at one point, was it not? Yes, it reached Category 3 status. It blew ashore with uh, top wind speeds clocked over 100 miles per hour in Ireland. 
NPR says post-tropical cyclone Ophelia slammed parts of Ireland with wind gusts of more than 90 miles per hour, reportedly causing the deaths of at least three people and bringing strange red skies to the U.K. As of Monday afternoon, Ophelia had knocked out power to about 360,000 customers in Ireland, according to ESB Networks. Which uh, monitors the, uh, which operates the country's power system. Irish authorities have ordered schools, courts, and government buildings to remain closed, according to the AP. Schools in uh, Northern Ireland are closed Monday and Tuesday, owing to quote the prolonged nature and potential severity of the storm, according to the Department of Education. This is a hurricane, or now a uh, post-hurricane uh, tropical cyclone, whatever they call it there, uh, in Ireland. Ophelia's location is already historic. The, uh, as the two-way reported, Colorado State University meteorologist Philip Klotzbach noted that when the storm reached Category 3 status on Saturday, that made it, quote, the farthest east an Atlantic major hurricane has existed on record. That's a pretty big deal, and that's fueled by extra warm, unusually warm Atlantic Ocean temperatures. Hurricanes don't usually get up there. It's not unheard of, but it's extremely rare. It is rare enough that uh, Eric Corey pointed out on Twitter that at a certain position north and east of the British Isles, the map just simply cut off. Right. So when you look at the forecast, they, yeah. they've they never programmed a hurricane of that intensity to get that far. It's literally just dropped off the graph. Yeah. You see the the cone, the familiar, uh, what do they call the it? Cone the cone of cone, uncertainty. Cone of uncertainty. And then it stops at a couple places north and east because their software don't do that. They These storms don't go this far north like this. It, the map simply cuts off. Uh, the storm winds brought warm air up through the U.K., causing unseasonably high temperatures. And according to the Met Office, uh, that that red sky, do you know why that red sky yes, was reported? Yes, I do. There? The red sky is because uh, hurricane force winds from Ophelia kicked up dust from Africa. The drew all the way up to England. It they, sucked it all in they, there. They say, according to the Met Office, this was drawn from the Sahara. The Sahara, yes. So all the way down from the Sahara was carried up north to Ireland in this storm. Yeah, and also the winds from Ophelia are fueling fires in Spain and Portugal. So the uh, that dust apparently at our latitudes, the Met Office says uh, it, it makes the dust scatter the blue light from the sun, letting more red light through. Uh, much as it uh, like a sunrise or a sunset must have looked apocalyptic, must now look apocalyptic. Ophelia is expected to track northeast into Northern Ireland and Scotland. So, no, nothing wrong at all. This is all totally normal. Don't be alarmed. Climate change, Chinese hoax. Uh, meanwhile, what Those Chinese sure are industrious, aren't they, though? Uh, what most certainly appeared to be, uh, well, appear to be apocalyptic is these scenes and these uh, stories still coming out of Northern California where wind gusts picked up again over the weekend but began to subside uh, along with the temperature on Sunday, allowing fire officials uh, to say that they think they are beginning to turn the corner in the fires that have ravaged Northern California over the past week with more than a dozen still burning out of control today as of airtime. The death toll spiked over the weekend to at least 40 killed in the blazes, nearly 200 
uh, are said to still be missing as of today with some 5,700 5, structures. Homes and commercial buildings completely incinerated. Down to the foundations. Tens of thousands are still evacuated and in shelters out here in California as the fires have scorched some 220,000 acres in Northern California wine country and other areas. Uh, and I can tell you, I'm glad that the temps are uh, dropping and the winds are easing. But down here in Southern California, it is dry as hell. I went out to take a walk today, Des, and by the first block, I could barely breathe or swallow. Yes, it is that it's, bone it's extremely dry. dry here. Extremely low humidity, extreme high heat, um, and and that's 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 a recipe for tinderbox conditions that create these fires. At a Sunday afternoon briefing, the California Fire Commander uh, told reporters that overall things are feeling optimistic for us. We are very cautious about that. However, he added. Uh, officials warn that the biggest threat remains that low humidity with that dry air continuing to transform grass and vegetation into fuel. Uh, it's been drying out the mountains, said the National Weather Service forecaster uh, Steve Anderson. It's still going to be bone dry out there overnight. More than 10,000 firefighters from California and other states and other countries, a bunch have come in all the way from Australia, are now still fighting these fires. Uh, and one of the, and we haven't had a chance to talk about this uh, much, Desiree, but one of the wettest winters on record, followed by the hottest summer on record. Actually, we need to go back. We had one of the uh, we worst had, droughts. We had the worst drought right? on record. Six years of record drought. And then this past winter, California as a state recorded its wettest winter on record. And you would think when you hear that, that, oh, we had the wettest winter, so why is it so dry? Well, right. Yeah. And so what's happened, though, is that that wettest winter spurred a lot of plant growth, a lot of yep. underbrush growth, a lot of grass growth. And then when we hit right after that, the hottest summer on record, it dried out all that new fuel and that new fuel is what's catching fire now with these you know these incredible extreme conditions that we have it's it was really it, there, it's there is a scientific <laughs> there's a scientific formula apparently that experts use to determine the potential of a fire it's called the energy release component according to uh, a Cal Fire spokesperson, uh, and said on Saturday that the potential right now, as it exists in California, is the worst, quote, in recorded history. Crews have not seen this amount of fuel this dry in the path of a fire in at least 26 years, he said. Members of the public are being urged to avoid helping in the cleanup because the uh, Napa County public health director declared a local emergency in order to bring in more resources to remove the toxic ash and burnt remains of homes and cars. Yes, all of that plastic releases toxins, and that's 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 why it's very toxic wow. there right now, and that's unfortunate. FEMA is conducting a damage assessment. That's the Federal Emergency Management Agency. They're providing aid to uh, local agencies, reportedly offering uh, federal funding to residents affected by the fire. Uh, one uh, traffic official uh, who was working on uh, clearing some of the roads says, we're going to be here for weeks. He said, I'm 51 and have been in California my whole life. I've never seen a fire this bad. Officials believe the death toll will rise from, uh, what is it now, 40, um, as uh, as the searchers make their way through neighborhoods uh, in Santa Rosa, 
entire neighborhoods that burned down, um, as well as in the mountain communities across wine country. But the good news, in addition to the cooler temperatures and winds dying down a bit over the weekend, is that some rain is actually in the forecast for parts of the state later this week. So that could bring some much-needed relief. Governor Jerry Brown and U.S. Senators Dianne Feinstein and Kamala Harris visited areas uh, affected by these fires. Uh, Brown said the devastation is just unbelievable. He said, I just drove by hundreds of houses that were literally destroyed during a news conference on Saturday. In the meantime, the president of the United States has not, to my knowledge, uh, even mentioned these fires publicly, has no. he? As far as I can, uh, not not up until airtime, he had not. Uh, that despite the extraordinary damage. Uh, and a loss of life. A loss of life. Uh, nor has he discussed a visit out here, despite you know more having been killed at this point, I believe, in the... the in California in these fires than in the hurricane disasters in Florida and Texas, uh, which he visited quickly and uh, nearly as many killed, at least in the official death count. Some say it could be down in the hundreds down in uh, Puerto Rico, but uh, nearly as many as the official death count uh, following Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico. And so Trump hasn't discussed these fires, much less the reason that they are so bad as Governor Brown acknowledged during a press conference late last week. Uh, that's the way it is uh, with a warming climate and dry weather and reducing moisture. Uh, these kind of catastrophes have happened. They'll continue to happen, and we have to be prepared to do everything we can uh, to mitigate. That was uh, Jerry Brown, uh, who is not afraid to talk about climate change, unlike our president, who is undoing everything that had been put in place by his predecessor to try to at least mitigate exactly what Jerry Brown was talking about there. And speaking of climate change, what causes it and things that Donald Trump does not like to talk about, authorities searched by air and water today for a contractor who disappeared when an oil and gas platform exploded on Lake Pontchartrain, north of New Orleans, on Sunday night. Seven people were injured in that blast, including three who were in uh, critical condition uh, today, according to authorities, and still one missing. The Coast Guard reported that a fire aboard the structure was was finally out. That's the good news. Out by uh, midday on Monday after burning throughout the night. Coast Guard helicopter along with Coast Guard vessels and boats from local agencies continue to look for this missing worker. Uh, from this oil platform. This is the Clo Clovelly Oil Company platform. Uh, exploded on Sunday night, sent a fireball into the night sky, according to authorities and company officials. Authorities on the scene reported that the cleaning chemicals had ignited in the structure, but that the company said that the blast, the cause of the blast, is still unknown at this point. Have you heard anything more about no, the No, I have not heard any new causes yet. You know, since the fire is only just now out, they'll yeah. uh, have to start their investigation at that point. It sounds remarkably similar to the Deepwater Horizon explosion it, where natural gas kicked up through the oil rig. But it's not clear that that's what's happening. No, here. it's not. Because apparently um, this a statement from uh, Clovelli said that the three oil wells near the platform were shut down at the time of the explosion. And uh, it had one gas well, I guess natural gas well, uh, was flowing, 
but that was successfully shut in shortly after the explosion. So uh, we don't know what mess, if any, so far as leaving in Lake Pontchartrain. Um, but that fire now seems to be out, and hopefully there's not an oil uh, leak that is unknown. The company does not know if there was any oil released yet. Uh, it's a, Basically, this platform is a storage point for oil and gas from a number of these different wells around it, and it, it, the, the oil and the gas goes into these uh, this, this tank at this platform, and when it's fill, uh, filled up, the uh, oil or the gas is pumped onto a barge and then moved. Right. So it's a central yeah. hub for all of these local wells. And just because something is shut in, um, it unfortunately doesn't mean that it's mm. not leaking still. Ah, true. Um, these uh, drill these wells were, were drilled back in the 1970s. This is a brackish tidal basin, Lake Pontchartrain is. It's fed by both the Gulf of Mexico, salt water from there, and fresh water from a bunch of rivers and streams. Uh, in, including the Mississippi River. The good news there, as far as I can tell, is that even if oil leaked, I don't believe anybody gets their drinking water out of Lake Pontchartrain because it is brackish. The bad news, however, in addition to the injuries and potential uh, fatalities still here, the U.S. Geological Survey describes Lake Pontchartrain as one of America's largest estuaries and water uh, waters uh, supporting oysters, crabs, and saltwater fish. Uh, so that may be uh, imperiled for a while. We'll find out. Um, so the Coast Guard will be doing water quality evaluations in the coming days. Um, so there's that. And um, speaking of uh, other things that <laughs> we don't talk about, uh, Iraqi state television. This is kind of amazing. Well, all right. Iraqi state television, according to New York Times, said early on Monday that Iraqi forces had begun an operation to seize the Kurdish held city of Kirkuk and its surrounding oil fields. Despite weeks of urgent efforts by the U.S. to keep tensions between its own allies, both of these folks are the, the Kurds and the Iraqis are its allies. Efforts to keep it from boiling over into another war in the Middle East. State run TV said the initial assault by Iraqi troops, counterterrorism forces, and federal police uh, did not encounter resistance uh, to this uh, to reclaim areas that were seized by the Kurdish forces in 2014. Uh, military sources also reported that there were exchanges of artillery fire, um, the uh, unconfirmed reports of clashes with the Kurdish Peshmerga, that's the uh, Kurdish fighting forces, uh, who have been maintaining defensive lines around these oil fields. Well, the Iraqi military operation would be the first use of military force by the government in Baghdad in response to an independence vote last month by the autonomous Kurd Kurdish region in northern Iraq. Uh, this is if you're trying to follow all of this along at home, basically, here's what we have. U.S. armed and trained Iraqis are now fighting U.S. armed and trained Kurds, both of whom are supposedly fighting against ISIS, along with a big chunk of uh, Iraq's fighting force that has been trained and armed by Iran, which Donald Trump essentially essentially threatened to go to war with last week. Uh, that's the current state of U.S. foreign policy in the region. Completely dysfunctional, uh, apparently impotent to keep the two of the strongest supposed U.S. allies in the region, Iraq and the independent Kurds in the north, um, from attacking each other. Uh, but the real w winner here 
if there is any winner, is the U.S. arms industry. It's almost certainly rejoicing today as Donald Trump becomes seemingly more powerless in this foreign policy thanks to his just utterly chaotic and incoherent uh, vision, his incoherent foreign policy, who can't even stop these two allies from fighting against each other at this point. Iraqi Prime Minister Abadi uh, had demanded that Kurdish leaders surrender control of Kirkuk. That was, these were the oil fields and other disputed areas that fell under Kurdish control three years ago uh, when ISIS was run out of the area. Uh, Abadi repeatedly said in recent days that his government had no plans to attack Kurdish forces defending the area. On Friday, Mr. Abadi tweeted that media reports of an imminent assault were, quote, fake news. Sound familiar? That's apparently the Trump doctrine. Anything you don't like reported, just call it fake news, and the suckers and rubes who follow you may actually believe it. Uh, all right, uh, we got to get. I got to get to uh, Heather here. Uh, we'll take a quick break. Uh, speaking of fake news and rubes and suckers, uh, we'll talk with her about this Values Voters Summit over the weekend, where Donald Trump spoke. And uh, is something happening? Is something finally changing inside the Republican caucus inside Congress? Um, when it comes to the behavior of this president, we'll talk to her about that and much more after this. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. There's something happening here. What it is ain't exactly clear. No, as usual, it's not. There's a man with a gun. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Is something happening here? We'll talk with uh, Heather Digby Parton very momentarily about that. Because last week, I had uh, I had briefly mentioned that the Boy Scouts had announced they were allowing girls to join. I, I quipped at the time something like, uh, let their right-wing outrage begin. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation, or even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. Well, sure enough, 
<laughs> over the weekend at the so-called Values Voters Summit, which is a right-wing so-called conservative gathering in Washington, D.C., uh, one of the one of the nuts that was featured as one of the speakers there was a Fox News host. Now, setting aside, imagine if MSNBC, a host from there, had spoke, uh, spoken at a far-left summit, if the far-left actually had any kind of summit or gathering at all. But uh, anyway, here was a Fox News host, uh, Todd Starnes, who told this to the crowd. The sex and gender revolutionaries and the cultural jihadists are on the warpath. They are loud and they are proud. Just the other day, the Boy Scouts announced they will allow girls to join their once storied organization. Many of you have started hearing a phrase in the mainstream media, something called toxic masculinity. It's not just a war on boys, it's a war on men. And there are those in this country that want to feminize men. They want to criminalize masculinity. Yes, not crazy at all, uh, Todd Starnes from Fox News. Uh, so now the Boy Scouts are cultural jihadists. What's he talking about? I don't really know. Maybe my guest will in a second. Then there was a right-wing talk radio host and National Rifle Association provocateur Dana Lesh who said stuff like this. We are in a post-feminist era. Feminism is dead. It is dead as a doornail. It is dead. And the crowd went wild. What are these people actually talking about? I don't know. But the crowd appeared to love it. And they loved even more when the president of the United States, the first time, as I understand it, a sitting president has appeared at this conference, a president who just today at the White House blatantly lied, lied to the American public, to the media, to everyone else about the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare no longer existing just days before the open enrollment period for the Obama uh, for the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare was about to begin for the entire nation, at the so-called Values Voters Summit, they loved it when Donald Trump said stuff to them like this. We are stopping coal, the attacks on Judeo-Christian values. You go department stores and they'll say Happy New Year and they'll say other things and it'll be red, they'll have it painted, but they don't say, well, guess what? We're saying Merry Christmas again. Fantastic victory, uh, Mr. Trump. Uh, so we are stopping cold the attacks on Judeo-Christian values, he told that crowd, who you could hear they were delighted to hear from Trump. Uh, the comment, that one in particular, led David Frum, a longtime Republican opponent of Trump's, uh, to tweet in response to stopping the stopping cold, the attacks on Judeo-Christian values. Frum tweeted, except, of course, for thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not bear false witness and thou shalt not covet. Well, that's true, though uh, David Frum, the former George W. Bush administration speechwriter, said to have penned the phrase axis of evil to describe Iraq, Iran and North Korea in the run up to war with Iraq, uh, seems to have left off thou shalt not kill for some reason. I don't know why he didn't include it in his uh, in his tweet. Maybe he didn't feel comfort comfortable mentioning that particular Judeo-Christian value in his uh, Twittered indignation. 
of Trump's remarks. Um, But the shocking disclosures over the past year that Roger Ailes, the former head of Fox News and Harvey Weinstein, now disgraced Hollywood movie mogul, that they basically led reigns of terror at the top of the political media and entertainment world for decades brings Trump's behavior once more into sharp relief. One would assume that America's conservative Christians would be totally appalled. Instead, as Heather Digby Parton notes at Salon, this past weekend, Trump became the first sitting president to attend the Family Research Council's annual gathering, the Values Voters Summit where he received a hero's welcome, she writes. She goes on to say, perhaps that's not surprising, despite Trump's long uh, record of immoral behavior, white conservative evangelicals are among the most fervent and loyal of his supporters. Still, for some reason, a Reuters poll last month found that more than 60% of white evangelicals still back him. According to Trump, their shared values are the most important of all. Speaking at that summit, he said George Washington said that religion and morality are indispensable to America's happiness, really prosperity, and totally to its success. It's our faith and our values that inspire us, inspires us to give with charity, to act with courage, and to sacrifice for what we know is right. That was Donald Trump. This weekend, you just have to laugh, writes Digby. I'd love to, but it all doesn't seem quite as funny as uh, maybe it used to be. Joining us now to talk about that and more is the one and only Heather Digby Parton, often known as simply Digby. She's the creator of the long-running Hullabaloo blog, a regular contributor at Salon.com, winner of the Sydney Hillman Prize for Opinion and Analysis Journalism, and, uh, well, she's, of course, a longtime friend of the Bradcast. Hey, Heather, welcome to back to the Bradcast. Oh, thanks for having me, Brad. <sighs> All right. I, you know, I want to talk about this incredibly bizarre take that the folks calling themselves conservative, much less Christian conservative, still seem to have uh, on this president. But we haven't spoken for a while, and i like to check in with you. At the very least, at what seemed to be sort of key moments in his, well, first his campaign, now his presidency, you wrote at length last week at Salon about how how many times throughout his presidency and his campaign the folks have suggested Republicans are finally turning on him, perhaps, uh, and that that speculation turned out to be false. But you felt with his recent behavior uh, last week, his attacks on I guess uh, Senator Corker, his own Secretary of State, his uh, Iran uh, and healthcare policy—that that something may have changed or might be changing—and I'm not—I don't necessarily disagree, Heather. But let me allow you to defend that statement. Something is happening here. Something actually is finally changing as you see it, maybe? Well, I mean, it's really hard to know. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to put my, you know, my, my mortgage on the line on that because we've Too all late. You already did. Those... I saw it at Salon. <laughs> Too late. Go ahead. Well, okay. My reasoning for that was this. I mean, putting out there, yeah, and I've been on this show many times, and you mm-hmm. and I have talked about this, about how, you know, the, 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 uh, speculation that Trump's going to pivot or that he's growing in the job mm-hmm. or that he's done or that they're turning on him or whatever. It's, all, it's always been wrong. And I think I say at the beginning of that piece that you quote, the smart money mm-hmm. <laughs> is to bet that he's going to survive this too That's because true. he always has. 
So, giving myself that much of a, a disclaimer, yes. um, I do go on to say that there does seem to be something happening that I find very curious in all of this. And it's not because, you know, there's he's done something in mm-hmm. particular. What this is, is that there are now a series of reports coming from within the White House, from within Republican circles. Of course, they're all incredible cowards, which we know they are. They, these are the most cowardly people. In fact, back in the 2000s, during the Bush years, I used to call them the uh, um, uh, the invertebrate caucus. And people always <laughs> thought I was talking about the Democrats. I'm going, no, it's the Republicans. They're right. the ones who just, you know, they don't have any... Um, you know, any any sense of independence, they're always just going right along with the crowd. They never, ever buck the system. I mean, Democrats are almost as bad, but they're actually a little bit better uh, when it comes to that sort of thing. In any case, um, you know, the, all of these ideas that, that, that there's going to be some big revolt or whatever are usually wildly overstated. But mm. this is coming from, I mean, we've got reporters in the Washington Post, for instance, who are na- who are saying they've got 18 sources. stories about Trump's behavior. Now, maybe they're all lying, but I, 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 you know, maybe they are, but I doubt it. What is happening is, and I think I put it in the piece, this is like a cry for help that's coming from inside the White House, Mm -hmm. that the man is losing it. Now, Gabriel Sherman at Vanity Fair has been sort of tracking this. I don't know who his sources are, of course. Mm But he, you know, he's a very provocative writer, and he wrote the book on, on Roger Ailes long before anybody, before it actually um, right. w- was revealed mm-hmm. uh, that Ailes was running basically a brothel in right. Fox News. Right. And that, you know, all these <laughs> the women that worked there were subject to this, you know, horrifying sort of coercion from the guy on top. Um, so, you know, I tend to think that he's a guy who... who obviously has good sources, and uh, the stuff he's been writing in Vanity Fair is really stunning. I mean, this is, you know, Trump running around saying, I hate everyone in the White House, I can't stand it, watching TV all day long Mm -hmm. in the Oval Office, Um, and basically they're trying to keep him from doing the sort of thing that he did today, which was hold a freewheeling press conference. Yep. Um, and, you know, stick his, his uh, you know, foot in his mouth, I don't know how many dozens of times that he did. But, you know, with Corker coming forward the way he did last week and, and has been kind of leading up to for a long time, for several months, saying that the guy, you know, he's unprepared, it's nothing but chaos, He's, uh, Corker talking about Trump, saying that he's, right, uh, right, and that uh, the uh, Secretary Tillerson and James Mattis are the the only, and uh, John Kelly, the chief of staff, are the only ones separating this country from chaos, yeah. Right, and you know, I'm very skeptical about the whole Mattis, Mm -hmm. McMaster, Tillerson, you know, triumvirate of alleged grown-ups. I mean, to Mm -hmm. me... I think there's a good case to be made that they're enablers, not that they're, you know, mm. doing anything, um, you know, that's really useful. I mean, I keep wondering, you know, maybe they need to resign en masse if this is really happening and mm. tell the world what's going on. I mean, maybe that's what needs to happen because this is very, very dangerous. I mean, the stuff that's, it'd be one thing if this was just sort of domestic churning, mm-hmm. you know, uh, with, you know, the re- Mitch McConnell and Trump having battles and what have you, you know, that's interesting and that's fine, but there are real consequences to what's going on, some of which are domestic, like what you talked about with the Affordable Care Act, which is a nightmare, 
Um, and also, you know, the, the reaction to the, to the natural disasters. And then, of course, there's foreign policy and national security, which is absolutely terrifying. Um, this guy can really do some damage. So and, it, and, it, and it seems like it's just getting farther and far. You know, it was one thing to, to have these positions, to have these statements. Uh, oh, the Affordable Care Act is a disaster. Iran, it's the worst uh, deal ever made. It's one thing to say that when you're on on the stump, it's even, you know, even early in a presidency. But then once you get confronted with the facts and everyone else is saying, yes, Iran is complying with the deal uh no the affordable care act is not a disaster it's added 30 million people and they can't even you know to the insurance rules and the republicans can't even repeal it because they realize how many people would be hurt by that you get to that point and it seems like he's kind of backed into a corner now he either has to admit that he was wrong on all of those things or he needs to start acting out like he seems to be doing now well, he is, and this is where it gets really interesting. Trump will never admit he was wrong about anything. Right. I mean, that, that, you know, he just will say black is white, up is down, whatever he needs to do. Mm-hmm. So many of these stories that have come out over the last couple of weeks, and another little bit of evidence that maybe something is shifting, at least in terms of the way they're handling him, if not, you know, any sort of real shift in the all, you know, in the in mm-hmm. the Republican approach. Um, and, of course, this is all Republicans. Democrats are just, you know, they're sitting on the sidelines going, oh, okay, you know, <laughs> let her rip. But uh, they don't really have much choice. But the, but the, the, the stories of Trump, their handling of him, I mean, first of all, there was one in the Washington Post today that just astonished me. They have to go around flattering the guy all the time, really flattering him. Just, you know, you're terrific, you're brilliant, everything, you know, you're just the smartest, greatest it's just sickening, you know. It's it's repulsive to me as an American. This, you know, he's not a king. He's not, this isn't King Joffrey. I mean, this is ridiculous that they have to do this. But that's part of the the shtick. They figured out that they have to flatter him constantly. But more importantly, what they have to do is kind of handle him by giving him, you know, treating him like a toddler. Essentially saying, okay, here are your two choices, and trying to limit, mm-hmm. you know, what he knows and keep the information from him, then tell him things they hope he forgets about a week later. But what what's ending up happening, the real results of that, the Iran deal is a good example. He wants to end that deal because that's what he promised to do when he was in the you know, on the campaign trail and he's just really loath to admit that he was wrong about that. So he's they've got him you know, decertifying it and then sending him to Congress mm-hmm. and basically punting to Congress on the thing. Right. Well, that's a terrible thing to do, too. You know what I mean? I yeah. mean, it's okay. I guess it's better than him just basically saying, all right, that's it, and tearing the thing up. But it's not good. <laughs> no. It, <laughs> you know? it, it buys us time, it seems, at, at best. And, and you're right. This idea, and we, you know, we've been covering a lot of these stories as well, his you know, reports that he was absolutely livid. Uh, to hear once again that Iran was indeed honoring the uh, anti-nuclear agreement and the way that they treat him. You actually pointed out, uh, I think this was a few weeks back, maybe a couple of months back, uh, you highlighted this Twilight Zone episode, which was perfect, that people should remember with uh, little uh, Ronnie Howard, right? No, actually it was Billy Mooney. Billy Mooney. That's right. Billy Mooney was called It's a Good Life. 
Right, that's right. And who they were all, everyone in, the, in this town, I'm sure folks remember this, were afraid. Terrified. Terrified of this little boy because he had some sort of power that when he got mad at uh, people, wanted to turn them into monsters or kill them, they would die. Here was, I think, would we have a little a, a little clip of that? Go ahead, Des. Why, that's real good, whatever it is. My lad, it's real fine that you've done that. That's That's real fine, Anthony. You're a good boy, Anthony. And that's what they tell him throughout the entire thing, because God forbid he should get angry. That's kind of what we have going on in, in, in the White House at this point, Heather? I think so. I mean, that's what it sounds like to me. I mean, that, and that's certainly something that you know, came to my mind when I started yep. hearing these stories about how, you know, because this is the guy who, I mean, he does have control of the nuclear arsenal. And, you know, speaking of which, one of the big stories that came out as part of this whole kind of unfolding of this new chapter, whether it's the final chapter or it's just another one, um, is about, you know, him calling, uh, you know, Rex Tillerson calling him an effing moron right. last summer. Yep. And the reason that he did that was there were two meetings that were held, and they were both obviously national security and foreign policy meetings. One of them was at the White House, where he told, and we all had heard about this earlier, there were a lot of people there, and he told the story about how he'd heard from some veterans mm-hmm. from Afghanistan who told him that none of the generals were telling him the right thing, that they didn't know anything, that NATO was letting everybody down, and was very upset to find out that we didn't, that the United States didn't have all the mineral rights, you know, how obsessed he is with stealing the resources to right. the victors belong the spoils, etc. And he said in that meeting that, um, you know, he told the story about the 21 Club, about how they, you know, he remembered his friend who ran the 21 Club, shut him down for a year and had experts come in. Restaurant really in New, a restaurant in New York City. Right, a people, restaurant, right, yeah, sorry. Yeah, that's all right. And that the it, that they should, his, the lesson here, the, 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 the parable, was that they should have asked the wait staff rather than call in experts and that they lost all kinds of money because they were closed for a year listening to experts who didn't really know what they were doing. Well, that's cute, except for the fact it wasn't true at all. I have a complete lie. <laughs> the the actual, 21 Club, yeah. yeah, he made it up. The 21 Club did not close down for a year. It was closed for something like four weeks. <laughs> and the whole thing was nonsense. But they came away from that meeting, the people, the principals who were in there, all the experts and the, the you know, the members of the Pentagon and the State Department and what have you, now they're going, oh, my God, you know, this guy's really, I mean, infantile. His, his worldview is scary stupid. So they set up a meeting for the next day at the Pentagon where they realized that they had to uh, outline for Trump what American power was, where they were deployed around the world, the history of American, you know, the American security mm-hmm. umbrella after World War II. I mean, you know, the guy really is an effing moron. And in the course of that, they tell him, they show him a slide that mm-hmm. they had prepared showing the nuclear arsenal, which at one point had had 32,000 nukes, which was sometime in 1969, the height of the Cold War, mm-hmm. and has since been reduced over the course of many years of detente and non-proliferation agreements, et cetera, et cetera, to the point where it is now about 4,000. Of course, the nukes are much more modern, and it's a much different capability than it was at the time. Trump apparently looked at that and said, why don't we have that many anymore? I want that many. 
you know, I don't want, why, why do we have so few nukes? And everybody's kind of gasping, you know, oh, my God. And apparently he said the same thing about every uh, example of the military. I mm-hmm. want more, you know, like M-O-A-R, you know, more, right. you know, more, more, more. Right. This is the extent of his, of his philosophy, which is, you know, and he said it on the campaign trail. You and I both know that he he didn't make a secret of this. We're going to have the strongest, greatest, biggest military the world has ever seen. And no, he, went, oh, he's an isolationist, isn't that nice? He he literally no, he literally tweeted. It was back in December of 2016 that we need to increase the uh, the, <laughs> the nuclear arsenal. And so then he's furious and wants to put MSNBC wants to t- take away NBC News's broadcast license, right? Because they reported all of this. Right. I mean, it's obvious that he, that he thought that, that he was completely clueless. Yeah. And, of course, after that meeting, that was when apparently in the room, and I don't know how many people were there, but it was a small group of people, mm-hmm. uh, and, and this was confirmed by many journalists now, but with more than one person, that that's when the Secretary of State called Trump an effing moron. Well, you know, he is. This this is, if there's one thing that I've heard of, you know, sort of anonymous sources quoting people within the Trump administration, that's one I absolutely believe is true, because (laughs) it is true. Well, and uh, Tillerson has been given multiple opportunities to say it didn't happen. I think over the weekend he was asked like three times on... uh, meet the press or something, and he would not uh, dispute that he actually did at least call him a moron, effing or otherwise. Heather, uh, I want to get very quickly to this Values Voters Summit, but let me just ask you one more question quickly on this point. Why would, if something is changing here, uh, I I presume you you saw that uh, conversation that was uh, uh, Robert Reich, the former uh, labor secretary, I think, Mm -hmm. under Bill Clinton. Did you see that conversation that he reported with a U.S. senator in which he said that the GOP will basically tolerate whatever they need to at this point in order to get tax reform done? So, A... Why would the uh, GOP, uh, the members of Congress, suddenly change now um, when reportedly all they want is tax reform? And B, why wouldn't they change now? You got Mike Pence. I mean, if you do get rid of uh, Donald Trump, you still have Mike Pence, who agrees with everything this president uh, uh, you know, has to say, basically, and is probably better at pulling off policy. Uh, without the sort of firestorms that Donald Trump lights every day. So, A, why would they change now? And, B, why don't they change now? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, I wish, I wish I knew. I mean, I, I suspect that it's because they've been spooked by this idea that their base is going to turn on them. So they're all afraid of losing their seats, which makes them really cowardly. I mean, the worst of all possible worlds, cowardly. Sure. Let's uh, let let's threaten nuclear war. Let's you know have the entire world uh, you know look down on us. Let's have all mm-hmm. soft power by the United States be completely destroyed mm-hmm. uh, because you know I might lose my seat, and that's just more you know that's just too much. I mean these people are really, really cowardly, and and that's my personal opinion. I think that's what it is. They're spooked by their own base. Uh, it, and I'm not even sure it's true. Now, 2018 will tell the tale, right? We'll see what happens. But um, whether or not this, you know, Steve Bannon and the rest of this crew have any real juice, we'll find out. But in the meantime, I think that the tax cuts are the one thing they think they can bring home and that, they, that their base is clamoring for. 
when in reality, really, it's their donors, right, that are mm-hmm. clamoring for it. So maybe they're figuring, I mean, I'm just thinking this is on the fly here. Maybe they're figuring that a bunch of them are going to lose their seats, and they just want to make sure they keep the donors happy because, you know, they've got to go out and make some money after, mm-hmm. after they get kicked out of office. I don't know. But well. it's, uh, it is a really, uh, you know, if you ever thought that these guys were patriots, and I love these people just talking about the flag and forcing everybody to stand at attention for freedom and liberty, uh, all these people, uh, they don't have the guts to actually stand up for the country when a maniac is uh, is running things, and they have the power to do something about it. So don't count on them. That's uh, very troubling. Uh, but speaking of uh, what their base is clamoring for, let's do this. Uh, sit tight, Heather Digby-Parton. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll come back and talk about that Values Voters Summit and what the hell these so-called religious right voters must actually be thinking at this point about Donald Trump. Why is it they still love him, knowing what they surely do, don't they? Quick break, and we'll come back with uh, Digby right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence, because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. Because you know I'm all about that bass, about the bass, no trouble. I'm all about that bass. Yes, he certainly is. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com speaking with Heather Digby Parton, the one and only from uh, Digby's Hullabaloo blog and salon.com. Heather, you mentioned before the break uh, that uh, talking about what their base, what the GOP base, Donald Trump's base is clamoring for. So speaking of the base uh, who, who still are rallying around this president for some reason, specifically the Family Research Council's Values Voters Summit over the uh, over the weekend in D.C., uh, Think Progress interviewed some of the attendees at that uh, summit who said things like, I love President Trump. He's really evolved. He has a biblical worldview now as opposed to just a billionaire's worldview. These are direct quotes that uh, uh, Think Progress reported from various sources. Where and how is it possible that those folks can have that impression given so much of what we know about this president, even, you know, going back to, uh, what was it, the summer of uh, 2016, the the Hollywood access tape, the things he said, I won't bother repeating those here, um, all of the, you know, the women who have stepped forward. How is it that people who, I guess, call themselves Christian, do not see all of these things that people with eyeballs and ears actually seem to be able to see and hear. How, how can that still be the case this long <laughs> into this? I, I know, and I, I, I find it astonishing, too. Now, a lot of people, and I've been kind of going back and forth with you know some other people on this as well, who are, who are pointing out, and I think it's fair to at least point this out, that these people, there is a right-wing media bubble that is, 
you know, very, very tight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is, and you know, I think it's exacerbated by social media, Facebook in particular, and a lot of these people are just living in a world where they may not actually. I mean, if you look at Fox News, uh, I have never seen. We we know Fox is bad, mm-hmm. and that it's been a propaganda. Uh, arm for the Republican Party from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. This is something new. I mean, they are in a completely different universe. They're not reporting a lot of this. So if people are depending on that and depending on talk radio and their Facebook friends and all of this, you know, they may not be getting the full picture. I'm ready to grant that. Yeah. On the other hand, I also think these people are adults. I think many of those people at the Values Voter Summit, those are political activists. I find it a little hard to believe that they're not getting any of this, that they're not seeing anything, that they're just so completely oblivious that they don't even know, that they don't even see the crudeness of Donald Trump. I mean, the, just the coarseness of him, the, the kind of piggishness of him. And I'm not just talking in terms of the sexual harassment, although that certainly was a huge story, and I know they all saw that. But let's just assume that, you know, they, they've blanked it out for their own reasons. Just, the, you know, observing him at all. He's a disgusting human being. He's repulsive. And the idea that these Christians are seeing him as some godly creature who is, you know, somehow has a biblical worldview, well, I guess if you want to get really Old Testament about it, I guess in some ways he does, But, you know, it's not really, I mean, this is not what I had ever thought growing up was the standard Christian worldview. Now, it has to be said that a lot of these people, I mean, this is the Christian right, and they're white. Now, there are plenty of evangelicals and even conservative Christians in this country who are people of color, Hispanic and and African American, and they're not seeing this in him. They're not living in that world. So, you know, there, uh, some of this has to yeah. do with their particular uh, demographic orientation, let me just put it that way. And I think that the Values Voter Summit really showed that. I mean, they welcomed Donald Trump. They welcomed Steve Bannon. They welcomed Sebastian Gorka. Yeah. And those three men, there's not a Christian bone in their bodies. <laughs> and I don't think that, I don't know if any of them have ever even been to church. And, and they had uh, Steve Bannon and, and, and Sebastian Gorka both fired by, uh, by Trump uh, once the pressure, I guess, got so bad that he had to. But they have made clear and th- that they're going to war against yep. Republicans themselves. I don't have time. I was wanted to play a Gorka statement. I'm, I'm running really short here. But, uh, Heather, it occurs to me that, uh, you know, even with these guys who are declaring war on Republicans themselves, uh, you know, the Republican Party back in George W. Bush's day and, and David Frum's day, since I mentioned him earlier, but even going, you know, going back to Ronald Reagan, they essentially decided that they needed to have the far-right religious nuts as part of the Republican coalition pretty much in order to survive. And similarly, I'm wondering now, have they just realized, well, our numbers are getting smaller and smaller. And so for the far right religious nuts, they have realized that they need white nationalism as a faction to survive. Or have they really always been the same faction, Heather? Well, I think they may have always been the same faction, but I think that there's more of a conscious recognition of this as being part of their philosophy. And, you know, and and the way that they're coming at this is through their Islamophobia. Uh, you know, the Sharia law stuff, the mm-hmm. fact that Muslims are, you know, 
uh, the stuff they were saying at this Values Voter Summit, it was hideous. I mean, they're, they're bringing diseases. You know, the Muslims are bringing diseases. They're, they're infecting good Americans. They're rapists. You know, all the same stuff that Trump was saying about Mexicans. Uh, you know, they're saying about um, Muslims at the Values Voter Summit. So I think they're coming at it that way. We're protecting our religion. And, uh, and apparently feminists. Oh, and, my God. And uh, Boy Scouts. <laughs> and, I mean, you know, take your pick. It Liberals, is... Democrats, the left. I mean, there, there was one attack. In fact, Sebastian Gorka, his quote, which you were probably going to say, was they don't, they don't realize how much more damage we can do to the left from the outside, which was kind of like yep. creepy, considering he's an actual, real-life, metal-wearing Nazi. <laughs> it's kind of like, oh, my God. <laughs> you know, whoa. It's it's getting scary, Heather. I gotta get out. It's uh, oh. each and every day <laughs> is scarier than the next. So no, we'll be kidding. we'll be call, calling you on the next very scary day. You know, I wanted to. <laughs> th- there was like, well, I don't have time. Never mind. Th- but uh, suffice to say, I think you're absolutely right. The Democrats and the nation as a whole are still wildly underestimating yep. the damage of Fox News and uh, political uh, right-wing radio and the damage that does and uh, that puts into people's brain and um, and what uh, Democrats are facing with the, with a uh, brainwashed uh, group of supporters yep. like those at the Values Voter Summit. Heather Digby-Parton, check out her work on alt-right meets Christian right, a marriage made in hell at salon.com <laughs> today and so much more over there. You should also visit her regularly at digbysblog.blogspot.com and follow her on the Twitters at digby 56 Thank you so much, Heather. We'll talk again soon. Thanks, Brad. Thanks for having me. You bet. Okay, before we go, by way of a public service announcement, I guess, uh, very quickly, here's what Donald Trump said before a cabinet meeting today in the White House. Go ahead. Obamacare is finished. It's dead. It's gone. It's no longer, don't, you shouldn't even mention, it's <laughs> gone. There is no such thing as Obamacare anymore. It is a, and I said this years ago, it's a concept that couldn't have worked In its best days, it couldn't have worked. Okay, I got to get out, but I got to tell you, that is wrong. That is wildly irresponsible. The president of the United States just said that Obamacare no longer exists. That's a lie. A lie. It is, as he likes to call it, fake news. This is just days before, just days before open enrollment is going to uh, begin on November 1 for people to sign up via healthcare.gov all across all 50 states to sign up for health care from November 1 through December 15 because they cut that period in half. But it is not gone. You need to know that. You need to make sure you got health care by stopping by healthcare.gov. If you need it, you can purchase it there. I just have to say that because it's a blatant lie. Fake news right from the White House and the President of the United States. All right, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's broadcast, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. Thanks, as ever, to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue to do what we try to do every day on your public airwaves. That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.